0: The scripture reading today is from Acts 4, 1 through 12. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were on the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. The word of the Lord.
1: 28 days, 15 minutes a day, less time than it takes to run to Dunkin' and get your morning coffee, or if you're a Starbucks fan or McDonald's, whatever your preference is, 28 days, 15 minutes a day, less time than it'll take to re-watch the first season of Lost. If you're like me, you're in a real show, show hole this year with Netflix. Things are just starting to come back around. You had to go back and find some other things to watch to, in your uh, downtime. But 28 minute, 28 days, 15 minutes a day. I, I wonder what would happen if we would commit the next 28 days just 15 minutes a day for something different. In 28 days, Does anybody know what 28 days from now is? Pentecost, yes, thank you. I'm glad somebody knew. It's, it's, a, it's a celebration time. It's, it's what the disciples have been longing for, that they've been looking forward to the presence of God through the Holy Spirit in a different way. And we're going to go on a journey through the book of Acts together, and it's going to be a little bit different. You're going to be reading through the book of Acts, so I'm going to challenge you, to give the next 28 days to read one chapter of Acts every day for the next 28 days, and you'll finish the Sunday of Pentecost. And you're going to hear up here on Sundays readings from the book of Acts. But we're going to take a parallel journey, sometimes through the Old Testament, looking at what God did in his power and his presence in people's lives. This is a journey that I guarantee you will be life-changing if you invest 15 minutes a day for the next 28 days. You will not be the same. We're going to talk about this idea of living in God's presence. Today we're going to talk about asking for God's presence. A story found in Exodus 33. And I want to talk over these next few weeks about the presence of God in our lives. What does it really mean to live in God's presence? The idea for this message series, and usually pastors don't tell you when they're preaching something that they've already preached. But I preached this Every time I've had the opportunity, and I've actually, one of the few outlines I've given to other pastors to preach, and what we've seen is a similar response to this series. And it was birthed in my heart years ago. I grew up, we uh, having a conversation this morning, nobody knows where Hermitage and Greenville is except one person in this room other than me, two other than me, all right. Hey, Al, hey, we're growing fast. We're not the only ones after all, you know? And, uh, and, and so I grew up on the Pittsburgh district. That, that's my home. That, yeah, I, obviously, I, I forgot that, uh, that you guys lived uh, very close. Yeah. Um, and and so, so um, grew up in the Pittsburgh district. And one year at camp, at camp meeting, we would go to family camp every year. Now, when I say I grew up on the Pittsburgh district, I literally was born and raised on the Pittsburgh district. I met my wife, Beth, when I was four, and she was six. And I've shared that story with you before, both of us being preacher's kids. Uh, Both of our dads pastored many churches on the district. I even had an opportunity, my last church I pastored was one of the churches that her dad pastored when she was 12 years of age. Grew up on that district, so it has a very dear meaning in, in our hearts and lives. And everything that, every major call in my life has happened on those campgrounds. And one year we were there, about four or five years ago, we were there for a camp meeting service, and every service, the, the evangelist was speaking about the presence of God. And, and it was a powerful time that we, that we had at camp that year, but it started me on this personal journey, and thinking about what does it really mean to be in God's presence? And, and out of that journey birthed this message series that we're going to be in. But I found myself asking questions like, are we really missing the main thing in our churches? With everything that we do, with all the things that we do and all the liturgy and all the the things that we go through in our churches, all the ministries that we do, are we really missing the main thing? I mean, isn't it all useless if the presence of God is not with us? Isn't that really what we're called to be as believers in God's presence daily? Daily? And I started to ask, what does that take? What does that mean to be in God's presence? And, and so I kind of went through that, that journey in my life. And in our busyness of life, I asked this question. In our busyness of life, are we missing the presence of God right here in our midst? Are there, there are times where we just miss God at work because we've been too busy to see him at work? This next slide is not spiritual, but it is cute. Here's our cat hunter. Now, for those of you who are trying to figure out this picture, that is a full carry-on luggage uh, size, the biggest that you can carry on to an airplane. That's how big our cat was. He, every time we were packing for a trip, Hunter would like to get in there, and uh, we it took us a while to get him back out to be able to pack our things in there, but he always wanted to come along on, on trips with us. He knew when we were leaving. He was the best cat that you will ever have. We um, had to put him down this past uh, July. Uh, He developed cardiac issues at at seven or, I think, eight years of age. He was part Maine Coon. If you've ever known anything about cats, you want a cat that's part Maine Coon. They are are a huge breed. Hunter, um, not an exaggeration, you know what a pub height table is? It's the one that's a little bit higher than a standard table. If he wanted something on the table that was in six inches of the side, he could reach up from the floor and pull it down. If he wanted something off of your kitchen counter, he didn't have to jump up. He could reach up and pull it down. This is a big cat. When I would hold him, I'd hold his bottom here, his head and shoulders would be back over top of me, and he was not stretching out at all. That's how big he was. And, uh, in this picture, he's about 16 and a half pounds, and that is lean, muscle. Big cat. Most lovable cat you'll ever meet. Well, you'll never meet him, but he would have been the most lovable cat you would have ever met. Uh, every, every time anybody came to our house, he was the topic of the, the, the center of the, the topic of conversation because he would always greet everyone, and he would be by their side, and people that didn 't like cats fell in love with hunter and uh, one day i 'm sitting in a chair, minding my own business, and Hunter is up on the back of the chair, sitting like right of, over my right shoulder. And I don't know what happened, I can't remember her other cat batted a toy by that he wanted or he would just occasionally get a spur of energy and want to go play, but he saw a toy. Now again, he's sitting right here by my head. He spies a toy down there on the floor and he says, I'm going to go get it. And he launches himself, full full speed, 16 and a half pounds. What he didn't calculate that between his body and the toy was my head. And I'm sitting there reading a book, minding my own business, imagine a 16 pounds of cat, boom, right in the side of your face, knocked my glasses off and everything, and he jumped through, literally through my head to get to that toy. And then he looked, he just ran off with the toy like nothing ever happened. Meanwhile, I'm trying to find my glasses so I can see what's going on. And he just was oblivious to everything around him, but he had a focus on that one toy, and he just went right through me to get to it. And uh, it, was, it was one of those things I laughed about later, and I thought this crazy cat, what is he doing? Then I started to think, are we oblivious to God like that? That God's right there in our midst, he's right there beside us, and we don't even notice because our focus is elsewhere. Is it possible that God wants to do so much more in the life of the church, so much more in your life, than you're experiencing, and he's at work, and you just don't notice. I've asked myself that that question many times, and I found myself going through that and, and starting to ask the question, well, why don't we live in the presence of God daily? I believe the Bible talks about that. I believe we're going to see over these next few weeks examples of that but why don't we live in the, in the presence of God daily? And I started thinking through that process, and there are some things that I came up with, the busyness of life. Now, I don't know if busyness, as it's spelled there, is a real word, but it is now. But what it talks about is we're so busy day in and day out. Think about your schedule. Think about that thing that you carry around with you, your, your phone. You know, I, I had, um, unfortunately, I also have an, a watch now, uh, one of those uh, COVID purchases that, uh, that, that also dings and everything. I have to, had to silence it on the way over here because I was getting so many communications. And, and, and we keep connected to, to life. And I even had somebody this morning during the service ding, and I thought, what is this? And I glanced down and somebody wants to schedule an appointment for tomorrow morning. I'm like, dude, we're a Christian company. You should be in church. Missing the point. And I thought, I wonder how many times we can get so easily distracted by the busyness of our schedules that we miss God at work right around us. If we're too busy to see God, maybe we're just too busy. Well, another thing that came into mind was what about our lack of focus on kingdom things? There's a lot that draws our attention. There's a lot that vies for our attention each and every day. There are so many things that, that, that we do and we have in our schedules that, that really get our focus elsewhere. You know, we have to sleep. We get that. We need a good night's sleep. We have to uh, have work. We have to have a job. Because the funny thing, if you don't have a job, many have discovered this past year, if you don't have a job, it's kind of hard to pay the bills and get the food in the house. And when everything is ripped out from under you... Your focus is elsewhere. I wonder how many times this past year we focused on the things of COVID and forgot that in the midst of everything that we've gone through that there is a God who's still at work and in charge. You see, it's so easy to get our focus on other things, isn't it? It's so easy to get our focus on our schedules for this week or that project that we have upcoming or those appointments or or those things that we have this week that are right there at the forefront of our lives. It's so easy to get focused on our families. That's a good thing. A lot of this is good stuff. But it's so easy to get focused on so many other things than God's kingdom at work around us. Sometimes we just don't care enough. Now, notice I didn't say we we just don't care. We just don't care enough. I think there are times in our lives that with so many things competing for our attention, we just haven't placed a high enough priority on the things of God. I remember a day where, uh, as, a, as a, a young, um, an older uh, child and young teenager, where my life literally centered around the church and the things of the church. And I patterned my life around the things of the church. And what I've seen over the years, fast forward now another 30, 40 years, and what I see is the the church fits into wherever we have life, wherever we have an opening, wherever... And now I'm not saying we should go back to the good old days, because remember I told you, the good old days, they're, they're just old. They weren't that good, as good as we remember them. They were good, but they weren't as good as we'd make them out to be. Sometimes they're just old, and then we do need to change, and I get that. But I think our change has come from the point of... God being first and everything else being peripheral to God being part of the peripheral. And that we just don't care enough about God's priority in our lives that we have lost that centrality of who he is. I think another reason why we just don't live in the presence of God daily may be the fact that we have bad habits. We just have bad habits that have, that have creeped into our lives. That, and, and they might be good habits that are bad. And from the standpoint, they might be good habits, things that we like to do, things that we do on a regular basis that aren't in and of themselves bad, but they're bad because they keep us from the best. God wants to be the best in our lives. And I think sometimes we've so crowded him out that we get into these routines. You, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but some of you prefer to get up in the morning and spend your time with God. Some of you prefer to spend your time with God last thing before you go to bed. And what can happen in either of those scenarios? You oversleep. What gets thrown out? Time with God. Because we've got a job we've got to get to. We've got a routine we have to go through to get ready. And we find time with God slipping. Or we're really, really tired because we stayed up too late the night before, and so we turn the alarm a little bit later and say, I'll meet with God later in the day, and later never comes. We begin to develop bad habits that creep in and take away our time with God. Or you're, you're the, the other end of the spectrum in the evenings and, and you just get so tired because it's been such a long day. It's been a good day. It's been a great day. I've gotten so much accomplished, but I'm just so tired. God, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And tomorrow gets pushed further down the road. You see, good habits can become bad habits when they keep us from the best habits. And God's presence gets pushed to the peripheral of our lives as i thought about this further i thought sometimes we just don't need god we we just don't need god we we don't need god to solve all of our problems we live with such a great amount of self-sufficiency and we're getting along just fine that we don't need a deeper sense of god in our in our lives we don't need a deeper sense of him we're we're doing okay and and, and the bills are getting paid and, and everything's great and and we've come through covid okay and we're still here and we're we're dealing with all of these things but but That's okay, God. We, we like a little bit of you, but I just don't need you at that deeper level because I'm doing okay on my own. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to us for our relationship with God is for horrible things to happen in our lives, for our lives to be so shaken up. Shooken up, shaken up, shaked up, shooken up. English teachers, figure it out later. Yeah, it depends on how you're, and how you're using the tense. I know. We need God to really mess up our lives so that he can get a hold of our lives. So I think back over my life, it's the most horrible things I've gone through that have got God's presence first and foremost in my life. It's when I come to the end of my self-sufficiency that I look and I say, okay, God wants to do something here. And sometimes when we're very self-sufficient, we need to, to remember that that is a problem, or it can be a problem, and we need to set aside time for God. Well, I think the last one is is very obvious. I mean, we we get it. We understand it in the church. Yes, obviously sin separates from the presence of God, and sometimes we've allowed sin to come into our lives, and we haven't confessed it, and, and we know that God will convict us of our sins if we really get close to him, and so we keep him at a distance because I don't want to change. I'm going, okay, God, I, I, I like this sin that I'm living in, and I'm okay with that, and I know if I spend time to get closer to you, you're going to point out that, and I'm going to have to give it up. And so we keep God at a distance. Look over that list of six things. Which one is keeping you from living daily in the presence of God? 28 days, 15 minutes a day can change your life forever. I want us to look at a story from the Old Testament. It's the story of Moses. It's the story of Moses' interaction with God. And it's the story of Moses interacting with God and God's presence. And Moses really talking with God and saying, I am not satisfied where I am at. I've got to have more of you in my life. And we find this in Exodus chapter 33, starting at verse 12. We find these words. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people. But you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me. Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, God, this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. That sounds pretty good so far, right? Now look what Moses does. Moses says, now show me your glory. It's not enough for you just to go with me, God. Show me your glory. And the Lord said... I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you, with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand, and you will look at and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. It's an interaction between Moses and God. I, I think it's an, an, an interaction that is very personal, very bold, and yet very sensitive to wanting more of God in his life. So, what is happening here? Just a couple observations from Moses. Moses was tired of leading without the presence of God. Now you've got to understand the background. You got to understand where Moses has been coming from. He, he's been going through leading these people out of Egypt, and, and all of this is coming there to the foot of the mountain. He goes up to the mountain to get the tablets. He comes down and he finds that sin has engulfed the camp. They build a golden calf, and they're worshiping the golden calf because Moses was gone too long. You know, talk about lack of patience, lack of following God's commands. They, they, they're worshiping the scolding commandment. Moses gets so mad, he throws the tablets down, and they're broken, and, and broken to pieces, and the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses on the mountain are gone. That's the setting. Moses goes back up on the mountain. He intercedes for his people because God had removed himself from their presence. Now think about that for a moment. Here's a people that have seen everything they're seeing God do some amazing things. They saw the, the, the ten plagues hit Egypt, and they, they saw how God protected them from all of that and led them out, and their back's against the Red Sea, and the Pharaoh's army's coming after me. I keep going back to the, to that, uh, the lyrics of Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Um, and Moses has is, is got his people up against the Red Sea, and God says, I'm not going to take care of you that way. Watch what I do. And he stands between the nation of Israel and Pharaoh and his army. And he parts the Red Sea. And they see all of these things happening. They see God doing some amazing things in their midst. And they come to this mountain, and Moses says, Hold on, guys, I've got to go talk to God. I'll be back. And they forget all about God. Because Moses has gone too long. And because of the sin in the camp, God's presence had been removed from their presence. God literally had removed himself because of their sin and their disobedience. And so Moses is like, God, I, I, I'm not going to go any further without your presence. This is wrong. I can't do this. But God removed himself because we know that sin, God cannot tolerate sin in his presence. And if he were to stay with them, it was actually his removing his presence was an actual means of grace. Because if he had stayed there and sin going on around him, he would have had to, to kill them. Because the two cannot stand together. And so he removed himself as a protection on his people and he, and so that he didn't destroy them for their sin. And an angel was leading toward the promised land, and Moses comes before God, and all of this is happening. He says, God, I am tired. I am tired of leading these people without your presence with us. Not only am I tired, I'm not willing to take another step unless you go with us. Think about that. Moses, almost face-to-face with God, as close as you can get and live, says, I've got to have your presence with me. When was the last time that you cried out to God like that? I've got to have your presence with me. In my life, in our church, I've got to have your presence. I'm tired of going alone. Well, We also see here that Moses asked God for God's presence. He asked God for his presence to be restored to the nation of Israel. He says to God, these are your people. These are the people that you have called me to lead, but they are your people, and we need your presence. And he boldly asked for God's presence to be with the nation of Israel. But not only that, he doesn't want to move forward without God's presence. He said, we're here where we are. We're at the foot of the mountain. I'm up here talking to you now again, and we've been through all this sin and this disobedience, and and I get that, but these are your people, and I don't want to move another step without your presence. In essence, Moses is saying to God, if you're not willing to go with me, then don't send us forward. Because he wanted everyone to know it was God that was leading them and not a man named Moses. He's pleading on behalf of his people. And and, and Moses is saying, this interaction with God, he's saying, "I, I don't want to go forward because I don't want to do this anymore in my strength. I don't want to be the leader. You are the leader, and I need the people, not just of our nation, but of every nation to know that it is God, Yahweh, the Almighty, the I am who I am, that is leading us. And I'm not going to move forward without your presence. Do you see the desperation in Moses' life? He's come to the place where he said, I can't go another step absent of the presence of God in my life. I wonder how many times we come to that place with God where we realize that we've been going it alone. Serving him, following him, uh, uh, yeah, but it's been so long since we've seen your presence at work, since we've sensed your presence. And I'm not ready to go another step with you, God. God until your presence is here with me. When we get to that point of our lives, it's amazing what God can do. Moses didn't want to move forward without God's presence. And Moses makes this appeal to God based on his integrity, based upon Moses' integrity. Moses says to God, you you said you're pleased with me, that, that you know me by name, that you're pleased with me. If you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways, because I want to know so much more. And and, and Moses kind of turns the the, the words of God right back on him and said, if you're really pleased with me, if you really know me by name that you said you do, and I believe that, then teach me more about you, because I need to know more. I am not satisfied where I am. I've got to know more about you. Teach me more based upon who I am and where you brought me to today. He longed for a deeper presence of God in his life. And then God grants Moses his request because God was pleased with him. It's interesting that, that the, Moses is making this big appeal to God, and, and, and God says, okay, Moses, this is what you want. You want more of my presence? You want to sense more? You want to grow more in with me? That's fine. I'm all in, in on that because of who you are. I will do that. And God was pleased with Moses and answered his request his bold request. Here he is in the presence of God saying, it's not just enough for me to go back down and do what you told me to do, God. You've got to come with me, and I need to sense your presence, and you need to be there with your people to lead. And by the way, God, I need to be more in your presence. I need to know more about you. I need you to teach me more. And if I really am the leader that you've called me to be, the person that you've called me to be, then I need you to do that. And he's pouring out his heart to God. And God says, okay, Moses, I'll do that. I'll give you more of my presence. I'll I'll come back and restore my presence to the nation of Israel. I will come back, and and we together will move forward, and people will know, every nation on earth will know, that I am your God, and you are my people. And I will do all that. And Moses could have gone home and said, it's been a good day with God. I've got everything I asked for. God's going to come back to people. He's going to come back in spite of our sin and disobedience, in spite of of that calf thing and the broken tablets and all of that. God's going to come back and he's going to restore his presence in our midst and, and things are going to go good. But Moses wasn't satisfied there. You see, Moses had one more thing in mind he makes a big ask of God. You see, God, it's not enough to know you at the level that I know you. I want to know you at a deeper level. I want to see the glory of God. Now think about that for a moment. It's like saying today, we're having great services. We're having great worship services. God's presence is here. And I don't know about you, I've noticed a difference in our services, and somebody even mentioned it to me. Uh, uh, last week, uh, over the last three or four Sundays we've been together, God has been doing something here. He's preparing you. I'm telling you, he's preparing you for something for the new pastor that's going to be up here soon. But we're not quite ready yet. Because there's something about sensing God's presence here, and then there's something about walking in his presence daily because we have seen the glory of God. Do you, do you understand the difference? I'll take you back to when our denomination was formed, late 1800s. The nation was at a time where it was just, churches were not doing much. Churches were just apathetic. And God began to pour out a spirit on this church over here and this one over here, and a holiness revival began in our nation. And literally, churches came together and formed the Church of the Nazarene. I'm not going to give you the big... You know, this group from here met that, and that group and that and this, that, and the other. All these churches came together because they believed in the power and the presence of God leading them. If there's a time in our nation where we need God's glory, not not just good worship services, but God's glory to fall on his churches to where our nation has changed. It's now. I really believe that. It's part of that dream. You see, we don't just need a bunch of good services where we can come and feel good and come back next Sunday and feel good again. What we need is God's glory to be revealed in the lives of men and women and teenagers and children all across our nation. That's the answer for the problems that we've experienced this past year, that not we've experienced, that have come to a head this past year and have yet to be resolved. That's the answer. What would happen if everybody in our churches in America would get on their knees before God and say, I'm not going any further without your presence. I'm not going any further without your glory revealed in my life and in our church. See, Moses makes this big ask of God. He says, God, I need your glory. I need to see your glory. I need to know that you are who you say you are. I need to feel your presence. I need to see it in such a way that it will change my life forever. And you know what God says? Okay. Okay, Moses. We'll do that. I can't show you my face because you'll die. It's too much for you. If this was our culture today, you know, the Bible may have been read a little different. And God said, I'll put a mask over my face so you can't see it all. <laughs> but uh, that would have been had to be some mask, I'll tell you. But he said, I'll make you a deal. Go stand on this rock. And, I'm, and when I come by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, the crack in the rock where you can stand in. You can see the glory happening out there. And I will put my hand as, ahead of me as my face comes by. And when I pass you, I'll remove my hand and you can see my glory, but you can't see my face. It's just too much for you, Moses. And Moses experienced God at a deeper level than anybody had ever experienced in their life to that point. Why? Because he dared ask. Because he dared to say to God, I'm not satisfied. I'm no longer satisfied with my half-hearted relationship with you. I'm no longer satisfied with what I've been experiencing of you. I kind of think that if there's going to happen, if a new revival is going to happen in our nation, we're ripe for it right now because we've been in seclusion for way too long. We weren't created to be apart from each other. And people were dying to get together. But what happens if we're literally saying it's not just enough to get together? I've got to see God's glory. I've got to see him at work in table life. Forget the rest of the Christian community. I've got to see God's glory at work in my life and the life of this church. What could God do with a group of people that are willing to say that. I'm no longer satisfied with my current status of my relationship with you, God. I've got to go deeper. 28 minutes, 28 days, 15 minutes a day. Before we get to what that means, I want to ask you, are you longing for more of God? Are you no longer satisfied with where you're at in your relationship with him? Would you be daring enough over the next 28 days to say to him daily, I need more of your presence in my life. Now, one of the things that I've noticed that COVID has done in our churches, which I don't like, it's kept us from using the altar like we had before. Calling people to come up because, you know, what do you do? Three people here, three people there to stay six feet apart. Nobody can come pray with you. So what I'm going to ask you to do for the next few moments is if you are willing to say to God, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what this journey is going to be like over these next 28 days, but God, I want more of your presence in my life. It's simply that, that you're willing to say to him today, I want more of your presence in my life than I'm experiencing right now. If that's you and you're able to do it, I'm going to invite you just to to turn around and kneel, make your chair your altar for the next few moments. And I'm going to ask you to pray in silence and just pour out your heart to God. God, and ask him to reveal to you his presence like you've never experienced before. If you'd be willing to do that, I invite you to kneel right now. And then after a few moments of silent prayer, or if you want to pray out loud to God, that's okay too, then I'll close this part in a word of prayer. If you'd like to do that, go ahead. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence in this place today. I I thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit has been revealed as we've worshipped you, as we've read scripture and spoken aloud the 23rd Psalm. Father, I thank you for the story of Moses and how that will impact our lives. Because like Moses today, Father, dozens of people are kneeling in this place or, or if they can't kneel, they're leaning forward and praying and just saying to you, I'm no longer going to be satisfied with my experience of you. I want more. Maybe want is the wrong word. Maybe it's we need more. We need more of your presence in our lives. We need more of your leading in our lives. We need to focus on you more than we ever have. And we need to see your glory at work in our lives. Father, we we pray for prayer requests every Sunday and throughout the week. We need to see some miraculous healings. You are a God of miracles. We need to see that again. Father, we need to see a nation healed, not just physically from a pandemic. We need to see our world healed from that. We need to see a nation healed of racism, of intolerance where we no longer can talk about things. But if you disagree, you're no longer my friend and I will never talk to you again. That needs to stop. We need your healing. And Father, all the government programs that man invents are not going to solve that problem because it's a spiritual issue that only you can solve. So would you reveal your glory in our lives personally, in our church? And Father, would you raise up, could we be bold enough to ask you to raise up pockets of believers around our country that would be willing to say, no more business as usual. I want to see God's glory. Father, change us over these next 28 days. Challenge us and change us like you have never done before. And answer our prayers today to see more of your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You'll see on the screen a question. Will you see God's presence in your life over the next 28 days? What I'm going to ask you to do is, it's interesting that we're talking about the book of Acts leading up to Pentecost, the early church. The book of Acts has 28 chapters. It's amazing how things work out, isn't it? Um, What I'd like you to do in your personal lives, 28 days, 15 minutes a day, spend some time each day reading one chapter in the book of Acts. It's a fairly easy read, but look for, as you're reading through the book of Acts, look for the times where the presence of God was revealed to the early church. Look for the things like the Holy Spirit and, and see how God was working in the early church. And then I'd like you to close that time of reading and time with God with prayer, simply, God, help me to live daily in your presence. That's it. Take about 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes if you'd like to reread and, and get a little bit more into it. But just simply read one chapter a day and ask God to help you to live daily in his presence. 28 days, 15 minutes a day. You're going to be amazed at what God can do over the next four weeks. So that's your challenge. That's your response to the message today, to seek God's presence daily and to allow him to change you.